Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in Tet? You playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Norma Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, yeah, big place. That's, out. Out. That's a big place. You sold it out. I'll say, really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Welcome to the Enorma Cast. Thanks a lot, you guys. This is your host, Chris Kalous. That's me. And uh, this is going to probably be episode 55 of the Enorma Cast, which is a lot of episodes. Um, it is 10.04 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, Carbondale, Colorado, here at Bonfire Coffee. Uh, thanks again for coming, everybody. Great looking crowd. For those of you who don't know what's going on, this is a taping of a podcast. I like to say it's live, but actually I will record it and put it out later. Later, It's live because you guys are here, so hopefully the energy will be different than when I sit in my closet or my RV or my, my office, as it were, or my living room or wherever I end up doing this thing. Um, as a little introduction, in case people don't know what the hell is going on back here at Bonfire, um, I started this podcast about two and a half years ago as a hobby, this idea that I had because I would... Uh, listen to podcasts while painting houses and it would just make the time go by and after a while I thought I could do this I know some climbers I could interview climbers and and put it out there and see if anybody liked it and and actually right from the beginning um, I got a lot of support and it's been growing over the last two and a half years not just from uh, from people in the quote-unquote industry but more importantly from just fans of the show and climbers and I'm astounded day after day when I go climbing and people are like hey I heard you talking. I recognize your voice. You're the guy from the Enorma cast. So that's happening over and over again, which is just a total trip. And um, anyway, I just want to say thanks for uh, the support, those of you out there supporting it. And if uh, you want to check it out after this, uh, just go to the website, enormacast.com, and uh, you can find out what it's all about. Um, I've got three guests for you guys today. Uh, we'll bring them up in just a minute. And um, I want to also actually mention while I'm thinking of it so I don't have to edit it in later. Um, it'll make it easier. But I also have an event coming up in Boulder on uh, May 17th. Uh, some of you may remember or, or know about a sponsor that I've had, the climbing lawyer, uh, Dan, Dan Markoff. And he's having a little party at his house, but it's going to be open to the public. Um, if you're interested in attending that, if you're down on the front range, we're going to do a live cast there. And uh, his house is pretty amazing. He's actually got a cliff on site with a bunch of roots on it. So it's going to be sort of a climbing party as well. Um, just go ahead and email me if anybody's interested. And this will also go out later on the internet. So as a reminder, uh, it's chris at enormacast.com. And uh, it should be a fun event. And um, I've been up to his place before. It's, it's pretty amazing in North Boulder. So just check that out. I'll also put some information on the Facebook page. Okay, that's the business for now. Do I have anything else to say? Normally, I get to stop and think about this in my in my. Uh, I'll just edit this out later. Um, what's that? Oh yeah, of course. Well, I, also, actually, I'll, I'll take this minute to explain this because I haven't explained it yet. Is that Defiant Bean, who's been my 
my uh, charter sponsor at the Normacast, Jeff Hombaugh at Defiant Bean, was on board from the beginning, selling coffee through the website. Um, he sold the brand to Bonfire Coffee, to Charlie Chacos here at Bonfire Coffee, and they're working together here. That's how Defiant Bean became Bonfire. I haven't really been that clear about that on the podcast because I keep forgetting to change the message. But I want to thank those guys uh, for having me in here and for all the coffee. He's an excellent sponsor. Coffee just shows up on my uh, doorstep every once in a while, which is a lovely thing. So remember, too, that you can go to uh, the website and... Uh, click on the, the Defiant... Oh, no, it actually is a Bonfire Coffee banner now. I did change that. Um, I had my intern do it. Um, <laughs> click on that or just go to the website, Entry Norma, check out, and you get a discount. And as long as I'm thanking sponsors, I want to make sure and thank Black Diamond, who's come on board just recently uh, much more. And um, they are real believers in this project, and they've they've come on board, but in a really gentle way, because, um, you know, I'm always worried about the whole sellout thing, and, and these guys have been great about that, and just wanting to support the community that we've created around the Normacast. So I want to thank those guys, and uh, also Maxim Ropes has, has been throwing support for quite a long time since I interviewed uh, Randy Levitt and convinced him that the project was, was a cool thing, and he had a good time on that. So those are the sponsors, and if you guys want to support the show in any way other than listening, that's a good way to do it, is just supporting the sponsors and let them know. So... Are you ready, Jonathan? You're furiously scribbling over there. Uh, yeah, I'm ready, guys. Yeah, come on up. So my first guest is uh, an old friend of mine. Um, we went to college together, and uh, actually this guy, Jonathan Thiesinga, taught me how to climb in a lot of ways. He definitely, I have a distinct memory of him teaching me how to rappel off of a telephone pole at, in Pingree Park in, uh, up in uh, north of Fort Collins in my camo pants and my mullet. If you recall, I have pictures of it, actually. So it's worth sharing just real quick that uh, I met Clouse day one, hour warm, hour one on the outdoor adventure floor at CSU. And Clouse came from the Midwest, um, and that was obvious when I first saw him because I was moving my stuff in, and everyone's, like, getting their stuff in the rooms except for Clouse. Clouse has already moved in, and his door is wide open to his room. And I guarantee he's thinking, this, I'm going to fucking have some awesome friends when they see me. Because he's got the mullet, like the classic Midwest mullet, these big Bill Gates glasses. He's got a black tank top tucked into camo shorts and like white Reebok high tops. And he's facing his back to the open door. He's just jamming on his guitar, just laying down some fat lines. And just like, what is this guy's deal? Like... I was like, I think we're going to hang out a lot. I don't, I think you're sort of like taking a bunch of memories and putting oh. them into one because I don't think I did that on day one. Oh, yeah. I was just like kicked in the door, yeah. just like, yeah, these guys are going to rock whether they like it or not. Get ready, Colorado, I'm here. Yeah, you know, well. You, you put the rat in Colorado. I did. I, well, it was a, it, you know, it was a, st- I, I've, I've written about it before um, and talked about it, but my journey from the Midwest to Colorado and eventually Colorado State and the, the outdoor adventure flow, it was truly a pilgrimage. It was truly like, I mean, I was, it wasn't one of those things where I look back on it now and I'm like, wow, that was really important. Like, now I was driving my red van, which you'll recall, my big cherry red Dodge van across the Midwest, like, 
on my way to destiny, and then I knew it. Like I was like, this is gonna change my life. Every 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 time my wheel turns, I'm closer to this change in my world. And uh, so I, I don't know. I, I think I might have been a little more humble than that, but I know I did have the hair and the and I, I think I might have had like a tie dye. Uh, I think you got that wrong too, or some like I got pictures to prove all this stuff anyway. So, but yeah, we met on the outdoor adventure floor. Jonathan had climbed a bit, and uh, there was a couple other guys who climbed a bit and uh, they took me under the wing and I think I went climbing like the first day or the second day with Andy up to Horse Tooth and, and the rest is, you know, uh, the rest is 24 years of poverty, basically. <laughs> basically, I, 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 Chris and I were talking at the cliff a couple days ago about me take, taking him climbing for the first time and just being like, just think. Just think of where you could have been if I hadn't fucked up your life by taking you climbing. <laughs> what you what you could be doing right now? I know it's well. We were actually stuck in the Black Canyon when we had this conversation, <laughs> so it was like it was on Sunday. It was raining and it was cold and wet, and we couldn't climb. And I was just like, I can't believe you got me into this. And he's like, I know this was my idea, meaning to climb to climb that route on Sunday. I was like, No, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, you got me into this like 24 years ago. This is all leading to this moment where I'm about to climb this wet chimney and maybe die in the dark <laughs> in the dark yeah exactly always in the dark always topping out in the black in the dark that's why they call it the black i think <laughs> all right well that's enough about me this show's always about me let's talk about you um the first thing before we get to our, our bit um i do you want to talk about the deal breaker thing right off the bat <laughs> yeah I, I think i think that'd be a good thing to talk about it seems like it's it's fr- so we, we currently have uh you know first of all uh there's not as big a crowd as I thought there was going to be. I was hoping for a much bigger crowd, so we got to work on that. Okay, gotcha. Uh, but it is nice to see that Michael Kennedy is here, and Michael uh, is Canadian. Uh, and uh, so. That's a deal breaker right there, right? <laughs> he, uh, but a couple years ago, I wrote a piece for Rock Nice's Ascent. Um, about climbing deal breakers. And what climbing deal breakers are is, uh, I started noting it when I was living in Bend, climbing at Smith Rocks. Uh, my friend Ian and I, we would just, it, it was walking by us, climbing by us all the time with people that were doing things or acting in certain ways that was like clearly not on. Like you would not be doing it. But they weren't aware of it. And I was, and, we, and finally Ian and I were like, we got to make people aware that they're that they're screwing up, that this is not on. Yeah, and so you wrote this piece that basically like hit. I mean, you couldn't get away. It no, was like the, everything. The idea was that was the list was pointing out what people were doing wrong, and everybody had something on the list. The idea wasn't to to, to make fun of people as so much as it was just to point out the fact that everybody thinks like their operation is super tight. Like, no, man, this is. I always wear a daisy chain through my legs, and it's like, no, man, that's not on. Like, and to point it out, and what was great about it was that it pointed something to everyone. Like, everyone either did one of the the CDBs or knew someone who did. So it pissed off everybody, um, and that's why well, Mike was here right now, dressed so, in. So of us. 
are multiple offenders. Yes, exactly. And have been for many years. Yes. I think everyone on there is multiple offenders. But fast forwarding a little bit, it was in Ascent two years ago. Yeah. Um, Rock and Ice just, just reprinted it on the website, and it all blew up. I think even more so because before it was in a magazine, so someone had to read it and then actually get on the computer to complain. But when you read it on the computer, you can just go straight to trolling, like in right at the bottom of it. And uh, you know, it's funny because when I when I've told people that you were coming on the show and this last week, every one of them mentioned like, "Wow, you should ask them about that article that made everybody so mad." And, and it, it it it's been interesting just to hear the response from people. And again, it's 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 interesting the difference between print and media in that. Um, and online people can comment immediately right. and it feeds upon like it goes viral and, it's, and uh, I had no idea that they were going to run it online and I went to work that morning and like, I got like three text messages from people about like mentioning CDBs and I was just like what why are you getting at me now about this like this was <laughs> two years ago like were you just reading in some like, toilet in the morning right. like what and someone at work stopped by and was like nice job with the rock and ice piece and I was like what is going on and they're right. like haven't you looked online and I thought oh shit don't never look online you know right. it's like and so I went and looked and I'm not on Facebook so I had to go and figure out how to see it all and it's just like comical the comments you know it's definitely like it's really easy to be provocative in the climate community and that one really rung true for me totally well the thing about it in your defense so to speak is we're really good friends and uh, I'm like you know, there's like six or seven of them that I will do in your presence. And the thing about it is that I will continue to do them in his presence because screw him. Like, I don't care what you think of the way I climb. And that was kind of the, the reaction. The, the people who were truly sort of angry was my kind of response because I read through them the other day uh, on various different places. And I was just like, you know, you guys like he, he made sure to get everybody in there. You know, I've got my IKEA bag. I love my IKEA bag. It works really good. And and that's a total deal breaker, you know. And the and the other thing I'll say too is that unless you are completely like the most, you know, magnanimous human being in the world, you've made fun of other people for some of the things on that list yourself. You know, it's like sure. I can't stand the threaded uh, daisy chain through the legs. Like, yeah, maybe you have a functional reason for it, but it's just it's one of them that drives me nuts. Like it looks so dumb. Like so dumb. And you know, but whatever. If you want to do it that way, keep doing it that way. It doesn't matter what I think, you know, if it works, it works. Some things are dangerous, but I don't think you really got into that. Although daisy trains, let's not get into the daisy chain thing. But I mean, obviously if you want to climb that way or wear your crocs or whatever it happens to be, then just do it. And so anyway just backing up a second, it's just like, if you got super offended by that, I don't know, you've got some self-esteem issues. If you got super upset, then I've won. <laughs> totally. So thank right. you for the, for the fire. All right. And it, and it was interesting, too, um, you know, Rock and Ice has, has, has done me wrong a couple of times now. And the, the other time was recently they, um, Andrew Bishrat and Jeff Jackson, both in the same issue, took one of my key theories about climbing life and ruined it and misspoke to it. So I thought I'd take a couple seconds to clear that one okay, up. Okay, go for it. So this is similar to your aid rant. Right. Which is has, uh, was something that you sort of built upon around just discussions and you, you, it was a theory that you had and you really pushed it out there. Right. And so the theory that I had in climbing is that at 33, it, it's, it's over. 
in climbing for you. You have no chance to succeed and get any better at climbing at 33 because life changes. You're going to have kids. You're going to, you're going to get married. You're going to have a, a more important job. Your metabolism slows down. All these things happen. They're right, going to right, happen. Right, right. So, you know, but people are always like, oh, no, you think, like, look at, you know, so-and-so. There's always exceptions. There's always exceptions to this rule. But most people aren't the exception. You know, they're, you're going to get worse the older you get. And that's something that a lot of climbers aren't willing to admit to. But that's happening to everyone. Sure. Well, I'm going to addend that because actually... Uh, and, I, and I sort of agree with you because actually science backs you up on this. Your brain at 30 starts to go down. But, and, and actually Randy Levitt told me that in his episode that, and he said 35, like, and that's kind of why he stopped, like, climbing sort of at the level that he did purposely is because he had made this decision. Now, Randy Levitt is like that. He, he, you know, it's like, it's time to stop, so I'm stopping. But... My point with me, because I am an example of someone who's climbed harder in the last few years than I ever have, because I never met my potential because I was lazy. And so if you were, if you at 33 are maximizing every possible thing that you can do and you are the best you can be, then yeah, you're going to decline. But like me, I was lazy at 33. So, you know, if you could imagine some sort of graph of my potential, and it starts to decline, but I never met it. So somewhere, I think like when I'm 47 or so, is where there's going to be this nexus where I finally like reach my potential at that moment. And I'm hoping that it's 13B. So <laughs> anyway, so that's behind your theory as well. I mean, yes, but it's true. You know, okay. like the, the physiologists will tell you things start to break down. Right. Yeah, it's just hard for people to come to grips with that. You know, right. they all, everyone thinks they're the exception to the rule. And I have a lot of friends who are like 31, 32, 33. And I'm like, you're on the clock. Like, <laughs> this is it. Like, you've got 18 months left. Yeah. Like, you're wasting it. They're like, no, that'll never happen. And I'm like, I can't wait to see you in five years falling on the warm-ups. Like, oh, it's going man. But that's, again, if they were like, if they're the best they could be at that moment. But, you know, most of us aren't. You know, we've got... We've got hidden potential in us. Is there any sort of biblical connection that, that happens? To, isn't 33 the Jesus year? Isn't that when he went down? Um, I'm not. Is that I mean, Bible I am, people? I am familiar with yeah. Jesus, but I don't know when Jesus died. So, yeah. So he hopefully had climbed as hard as he was going to climb. Uh, yeah. Well, he did climb up on the cross. So that was That's good. true. <laughs> Too early with Jesus no, that's, dying? Yeah, no. He was just good. reborn, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, I know okay. he was. He's good. So, <laughs> well, he is, right? Yeah, exactly. He's fine. I think he's, he's great, actually. All right, so let's go on to, uh, let's go on to the, the next bit. You ready? All right. So what we did last uh, year when we were uh, doing the live podcast was we had a, a bit called Cold Call the Canadian. And we called Sonny Trotter, and it was super fun to talk to Sonny and sort of learn exactly how much he did not know about his, his country. And uh, that's one of the climbing deal breakers I mentioned, actually, uh, was that Canadians are really proud of the fact that they're from Canada. But in reality, no one cares that they're from Canada, because Canada is not really relevant in the global world that we live in today. Uh, so... The, uh, and now the Canadians are flipping me off in the crowd, which is, again, I'm winning. Um, well, where do these Canadians and so, live? And exactly. In America. Uh, and, and, and again, I'm not... We're the speaker cell. Yeah. 
be wary of the Canadians lurking in your neighborhood. Um, so what I wanted to do was I wanted to call another well-known Canadian climber, and that is Jean-Pierre Wallet, also known as Peewee. He's one of uh, he's one of the world's most accomplished crack climbers. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he's super short, and he's French Canadian, and hopefully he's up. I'm not sure the time zone change. Right. But hopefully he's around, and I just wanted to pick his brain a little bit about being from French Canada, and so we're gonna. All right, and as a as a small disclaimer, we use this system, this really ghettoy looking system here, last year, and it worked. And I think it's going to work again. And if it's not, we're just going to edit this all out and bring our next guest up. So plug it in there. In there? Yeah. That's the out? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully it goes in with your case. Uh, and so Jean-Pierre uh, does speak some English, but we're going to try and do this in a, in a mix. I, I know a few keywords of French. So let's... Uh, oh, there it goes. It's working. Come on, Pee Wee. I have some more Canadians I can call. Do you? <laughs> Classic. What? It might be early. Votre appel a été transféré à un système de traitement de la voix. 4, 1, 8, 5, 7, 8, 9, 9, 9, 9, getting a croissant as you do. <laughs> Leaving us hanging. Canadians. <laughs> well, this will be interesting. Uh, I'll have to continue on trying to call another Canadian up. We'll try another one, I guess. Jean-Pierre. Yes. What's up? It's JT. How are you? How are you? Hey, I just called you a couple seconds ago and you didn't answer. Where were you? What's up? <laughs> Get a little closer here. Where were you? I just called you like two seconds ago and you didn't answer. What were you doing? I was belaying. You were laying? Belaying. Oh, sorry. I, I talked with your accent. <laughs> Hey, Pee-wee. I'm sorry, I don't speak English. Hey, it's what's happening, dude? What's up, Chris? Hey, so we are uh, live right now in uh, front of an audience uh, doing a live, a normal cast. Uh, so you're live in front of a, a bunch of people, and we wanted to ask you a few questions about Canada. You got some time right now, or are you still belaying? No, I have time. Cool. Are you at a climbing gym? or? Although, although, although I want to say my... English kind of sucks, so I might have to switch in uh, French. No problem. My, my my French is perfect, as you know. So I know, I know, um, I know. Yes. Allez. Um, hey, so 
You know, I don't know if you heard last year when we talked to Sonny, but I just wanted to sort of talk to you as well and sort of get a better understanding about Canada because I know a lot about uh, North America or North America, America where I live. But, you know, Canada, I, I don't know much about and and I don't think most Americans know a lot about Canada. And I'm actually surprised uh, a lot about what I've learned. And so I went on to um, the Internet last night and spent like an intensive five minutes on Wikipedia um, really getting to know your country, uh, specifically French Canada. And you know, the first thing I was just like, huh. Oh, it's, it's, it, I, I wasn't sure where Quebec was, and I don't think most Americans do, so I thought it'd be, you know, it's important to note that it is in East Central Canada, which is nice to know that it's, um, you know, where it's at, because I wasn't too sure about that, and I wanted to learn more about, like, why you guys speak French in Canada, you know, and um, cause that was kind of interesting, you know, I, I wasn't, I, it didn't really make much sense, and I learned that, um, it's uh, accounts, the French speaking population in Canada accounts for 22% of the total population in the country. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. Is it's, that a, it's, it's probably a bit more even. Maybe your, your Wikipedia page was a bit old. Is there like a Canadian Wikipedia I should have gone to, or is it like a global thing? No, it's it's le Wikipedia oh, in French. Gotcha. <laughs> okay, that's uh, yeah. So some of this stuff may not be quite le correct. Um, <laughs> but hey, uh, but uh, you know, I'm trying to figure figure out like how many French Canadians are there? Like, is that is you know what else is there? And I learned that it's the second largest ethnic group. You guys are an ethnic group, which I thought was interesting. The second largest ethnic group in Canada. Do you know what the largest ethnic group in Canada is? I would say Canadians. It's English Canadians. So Yeah, I know that. But we're <laughs> French Canadians. But and they're Canadians. We're not. Well, actually, we're not even Canadians. We're Quebecers. Okay, that you're you're getting ahead of my Wikipedia facts. So hang on a second. <laughs> Do you know what the third and fourth largest ethnic groups in Canada are? Because the first is English Canadians, the second is French Canadians. What is the third and and fourth largest ethnic groups? Uh, probably Chinese Canadians. Most of them are in uh, Vancouver, also known as Hongcouver. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, the fourth one, I don't know, man, maybe Indians. <laughs> no, you're, you're wrong. It's Scottish Canadians and Irish Canadians. So that's something uh, you should be on the really? lookout for those people. Uh, th they're the ones with the evil. Well, aren't aren't these guys uh, English-speaking Canadians? Wait, what? Aren't they? Aren't these guys English-speaking Canadians? Yeah, but I'm not talking about. These are ethnic groups, not not language groups. Huh? I'm sure this is okay. just a language issue with you speaking French and me speaking English. So, let's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so, I had this, so. 
there's it's called French Canadians, but it's also called Quebecers or Quebecois. So what do you call no, no, yourself? It's it's no no, it's never called French Canadians. It's actually almost an insult. You know, like, come on, dude, we're pretty far from from French. Well, you know? Hey, it's, I'm I'm just reading what Wikipedia has, Pee Wee. I do not mean to offend your ethnic group. Um, yeah, but, but you know, the, the person who wrote that thing is probably an English speaking Canadian, and they they don't know shit because they don't speak French. <laughs> <laughs> so what but what do you call yourself are you a Quebecer are you a Quebecois or, or, or like you clearly don't call yourself French Canadian so what do you call yourself Quebecois Quebecois and what's up with this thing called? no 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 no, no, no not, not, not Quebecois 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 yeah you got it merci okay so yeah <laughs> so what's up with this other major group of French Canadians called Acadians. What's that's like some sort of separatist movement? What what what, what are those no, guys no, the Aca- the Acadians they live in New Brunswick and they speak like a mix of English and French. They speak Acadian, which not it's I mean I guess it's not a real language. It's mostly I guess people who they don't really speak very good to French and they don't really speak very good English, so they speak Acadian. It's kind of, kind of a mix of both. It's like friend, Friendlish or in French or whatever. Are they like, like, uh, are, are they looked down upon by the more advanced and Quebecoisers or are, like, are they like the dirty Southerners or what's their, like, are they like rednecks or are they like, like, what's their deal? Are they like castoffs? Because New Brunswick, that's a really bad province, right? What's that? New Brunswick, it, where it, they it, live, that's terrible. That's a bad place to be, right? So are they like cast off? Um, uh, no, it's like, uh, it's like, I mean, is New England cast off? Yep. It's kind of sure. similar. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. It's kind of similar to New England. It's like Vermont. You know, it's spread above yeah. uh, Maine, Maine and Vermont. So people from New Brunswick are similar to people uh, from uh, from Maine. So they have a really, a really special um, accent. You know. Yeah, they sound. But I wouldn't say they're. I, w- I wouldn't say they're rednecks. Like rednecks, I would probably be more toward the middle of the country. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, it's a big country. I'm sure there's a lot of, of uh, space to be a redneck up there. Um, yeah. Hey, so um, do you know what the symbol of French Canada is? Like, there's like a symbol. Like, you guys have your own flag, I guess. You guys are like separatists, or you want to like leave Canada, right? But what's your flag? What's the symbol on there? What's our, what's our flag? What's our, what? What's the thing on our flag? Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's a pot leaf, isn't it? No, <laughs> <laughs> no that's Colorado. <laughs> Do you know it's like a flower? Oh no, that, that would no, that that would be BC. Sorry, yeah. I think it's called flower de lis. Exactly. Um, or le fleur de lis. So what? I'm trying to figure out. I, I did during my research tried to figure out why you guys speak French up in that zone and I learned about this that um, it was called New France and there was, there was four territories oh no three territories in New France there was Canada 
there was Acadia, which later became known as Nova Scotia. What's the third territory of New France? Oh, uh, boy. It would be the upper Canada, maybe? (laughs) (laughs) All of Canada is upper. Um, It's Louisiana. So that was kind of a little trick question there for you. So, something to keep in mind. Uh, so, are you, are, you, are you trying to tell me that Louisiana is part of Canada? It was part of New France, uh, uh, um, which is Canada, uh, This that Acadia place up where no one wants to be, and then Louisiana. <laughs> so, okay. um, just again, that's it, it's uh, interesting to learn about this kind of stuff on uh, Wikipedia. I'm sure there's a different story on Lay Wikipedia. Um, so I had this other deal where I was trying to look, I was like, I gotta find out who the famous French Canadians are. You know, like there's gotta be some like significant people on that list, right? Like Anne Murray, uh, Brian Adams. No, I think those are just regular yeah. Canadians. Yeah. Oh, they're not, they're not, um, Quebecois or Acadians or anything like that. Oh, um, the girl from Vegas. Uh, I know, I know the two famous, the two most famous ones for sure. Who are those? The first one is uh, Celine Dion. Yeah, that's yep. what I was thinking yeah. about. Yeah. Celine Dion. She's and famous. the second one, second one is Sonny Trotter. <laughs> <laughs> is Sonny really from Quebec? No. <laughs> no, no, no. He's okay. uh, from Ontario. Yeah. No. Um, uh, so, no, I don't know, man. So, like, uh, well, I looked on the list on Wikipedia because I googled it, and there's like tons and tons. Their list was like. 50 names, and they were, I had no idea who any of them was. And I was like, man, I don't know any of these names, except for Celine Dion. And then I, I came across a name I knew. It was your last name, Wallet. And I was like, holy shit, Pee Wee has a relative that's famous, right? So yeah, I, yeah. Do you, do you, or what is your relationship to Marisa Wallet? Do you know her? Is she like um, your cousin? Cousin, I no, I don't know her. I have no idea who she is. Okay. But I'm gonna tell you something though that my grandpa used to tell me when I was a kid. He was always tell me, usually after a few drinks, you know, he would tell me, "Hey kid, there's two types of two types of people in the world. There's the willet, and there's also the people who would like to be a willet." <laughs> Well, uh, so, so I'm not surprised that there's a wedding in that list. <laughs> and and those are the kind of stories that, that no other grandfather has ever told a grandson. So that's that's definitely special to your family. But let me let me um, explain to you who Marise Wallet is, because this uh, she must be from your family tree. So Marisa okay. Wallet, she is a French Canadian glamour model and a professional wrestler and a professional wrestling valet and businesswoman. <laughs> so she's most known for her time with the WWE. That's the World Wrestling uh, something um, between 2006 and 2011. She spent her years modeling, including, get this, winning the Miss Hawaiian Tropic Canada in 2003. So basically... 
she she that was her springboard to fame, right? She was so basically she's a stripper at wrestle, right? Exactly, exactly. So she won this. Uh, she spent time in the Ohio Valley Wrestling and Florida Championship Wrestling Leagues, which are the development territories for the WWE. Um, then in 2008, she she won like the Diva Championship. And this is Pee Wee. This is really impressive that your long lost cousin has done all accomplished all this. She's a pride of, of you know dude, what, whatever it takes, man. And then, but you know, sadly, you know, she was released from her contract in 2011. So she had a very you know she was um, her star shone very brightly for a short period of time. Uh, and I had to dig a little deeper to find out what she's up to now. And now she's working on a clothing and jewelry line called House of Maurice. And she's working as a realtor. So it's, wow. it's, it's nice to know that a former Hawaiian tropic playboy um, girl turned wrestler turned realtor is uh, attached to your family tree. I'm sure that's something your grandfather forgot to share with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of proud actually. I'm gonna look it up tonight. She's actually really hot too, so uh, that might make you even more excited. Uh-huh. <laughs> It'd be kind of weird if she's my grand cousin or something like that, though. You know. <laughs> yeah, a little weird. Cousins are all right in most countries. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I bet you in, in like, a I mean, it's not, it's dude, like, like, uh, Quebec is small, but it's not Kentucky. We're like, we don't have sex with uh, our cousins. Okay, good for you guys. <laughs> uh, well, that's good. I'm sure your grandfather also told you that one. Um, hey, listen, um, <laughs> we got to go because this is a long distance call to Canada. It's cost me a ton of money. But um, I appreciate it, and uh, I'll see you in a couple weeks at the BD sales meeting. So, Stay psyched, and right, hopefully dude. you have a good day climbing. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks, Pee Wee. Okay. Cheers, guys. Have right. a good one. Bye. All right. So thanks for that. It's always fun to catch up with uh, the Canadians to see what's going on. Cool. Thanks, JT. And uh, I'll send a shout-out over the airways for Pee Wee, even though he can't hear us anymore. Um, cool. We good? Yeah, we're good. Thanks. I'd like to... Uh, have the next people come up. We'll yep, you're scooting over. Move your stick clip. Got it. All right, my next guest is uh, I called him an OG photographer, and that's just the plain truth. Uh, Mr. Chris Noble. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. Awesome. Hey, good mic placement. Yeah. I did a little clinic. I got some training on this before, yeah. did, so. I did he a said, little. He said, keep it right like this. Yeah, pour the picture. I mean, you know, as a photographer, we don't really like to be up on stage. Right, right. You've like done to this be in the background. Yeah. yeah, you've done this before. So um, Chris and I actually uh, kind of met, I guess, um, how long ago was it when we went up to the Six Star? Yeah, but we met here in Carbondale when I was on my way to the Black. Oh, with, that's uh, right. Madeline. We had dinner. Madeline that's and right. Kate. Yeah, yeah, that was the first time. That was the first time. And then we went and did a little photo shoot with uh, Brittany, uh, Jonathan's wife, up in... Uh, up at Indian Creek, the uh, that's the first mention on the show of Indian Creek. Drink. 
And because uh, we were working on your book that just came out in exactly. the fall. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that book? That's one of the reasons I asked you to come on the okay. show. Well, it's a book. It's called Women Who Dare. And uh, it's about 20 uh, prominent, I find very inspiring women uh, climbers from North America. And uh, Madeline and Kate Rutherford, Madeline Sorkin and Kate Rutherford were with me when we met. And then, uh, as he said, Brittany was another woman we profiled in there. So the book uh, is really... Uh, about these women telling their own story in their own words. It was a, a way to give the women a platform to kind of talk about their careers and how what they deal with, what their challenges are, things like that. And then... Uh, Hopefully, some good photos to support that. So, what, what do you? I mean, when you decided that you were going to do this book, like, where did that come from? What did you decide to to put this thing together after all these years? Yeah, I mean, it started a long, long time ago. I was uh, kind of right when digital came along. I started looking through all my old slide collections and things, and I think a lot of photographers at that stage did a lot of soul searching, and and I just noticed that some of my favorite photographs were of uh, women in relationship with nature, and I started thinking about a way to make that a longer term, more in-depth project. And so, you know, through a lot of evolution and stuff, uh, we got to this book. And, it, you know, we were lucky because we, me and the uh, Falcon, the publisher and I, just because you work on projects like this and uh, timing's a lot about how successful they are and, and no one else had really done a book similar to this. So it all kind of fell together. Well, so am I actually pictured in the book? Yeah, you, know? you are actually. Okay. Although wondering. you would have to, you're I was like waiting a, to get to that question. Yeah, <laughs> you are a micro dot on the uh, portal edge down below as Brittany's climbing. Awesome, because I saw it in an ad somewhere. I was like, right on. That's a good looking. I'm actually featured in there with our van. So really, um, I thought it was the only man in the book, and I was like, yes. But then somebody else, some other guy, got in there. What other guy? husband. Oh, that's right. So, yeah, we did have a few guys just to show that these women do have relationships with men, too. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was important. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think those shots turned out. We're a little bit worried because I, uh, I brought up a portal edge on a two-pitch route, and uh, there was some concern that maybe it would look like we were sort of doing some sort of weird staging. But the fact was is it was a really crummy belay, and I thought, oh, we'll bring a portal edge. It turned out cool, I thought. It kind of did. It, I, don't even, I don't even notice it. I was worried about it, too, because it was like, whoa, who the hell would bring a portal edge up here? On you know? A, what, two-pitch roof? Yeah, exactly. But um, <laughs> and then the other thing, it was like a hurricane blowing that day. Well, the reason I brought up the portal edge, actually, was the fact that I kind of wanted to ask you a couple things about photography and uh, your sort of career as a photographer and, and working on climbing photography in particular, like when you are involved in these things, you know, what kind of lines do you draw in terms of authenticity, in terms of like trying to create um, an image, not only that maybe feels real, but sort of is based on something that, you know, we always worry about the posing and you look at some photos and you're like, okay, that, you know, especially with w w photography of women, like women climb in ponytails because their hair is going to get caught in belay devices and things like that. But when you see all these, this photography, it's like, you know, hair blowing in the wind and all these sorts of things. So w what's your sort of philosophy with that in terms of what you'd like to do with your imagery? Well, I, I think it depends on the situation. Um, for instance, if someone's trying to, you know, send a project red pointed, I don't do anything. I just kind of document what happens, right? I don't get in their way. And I, I don't like to do a lot of coaching. But um, on the other hand, we are trying to kind of get to the essence of the activity, I think. And um, so, 
Yeah, we talk about what to wear ahead of time. I let I usually let women wear their hair any way they want. Right. To tell you the truth. I mean, I try to meddle as little as possible until I see a climbing deal breaker and then I <laughs> immediately step in and say, oh, do you know, I really wouldn't wear that daisy chain between your legs for this photo. Right. This particular photo. Yeah. As an aside, I want to point out that um, someone sent me a photo, a printed photo from somewhere with Tommy Caldwell with his uh, with his daisy chain between his legs. So, just in terms of deal breakers, even Tommy Caldwell is is uh, you know caused some some sort of stir with his deal breakers. So, if you know Tommy Caldwell can do a deal breaker, I guess we all can. I think that goes without saying. Yeah. Seems fair enough. We'll give it to him. He earned it. So let me ask you about sort of your career, and um, I definitely want to have you on the show another time for a full interview, but you, you know, I, I made that joke, OG photographer, because I think, I, I want to say, when I started, even when I started climbing and started looking at imagery, I, I, I think I remember your, seeing your name on stuff, because it's an interesting name, Noble. You know, it's, it served me well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how long ago did you start doing adventure photography? And uh, photography? Like 1975. Yeah, you know, like when you guys were still in probably high school or something. Oh man, no, no. <laughs> diapers, right? Yeah. Right. Seventy. I was four. That's I was probably. Four. I hopefully had lost my diaper by then, but I was probably a late bloomer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, w- I was really early on. Although I did mostly ski photography at that point, uh-huh. and um, did that for a long, long time. I uh, reluctantly started doing climbing photography. Well, I mean, basically, the ski photography took me into expeditions and ski expeditions, and I started shooting a lot of expeditions for the North Face, and then started, you know, doing everything the North Face covers at that point. Right. So it was sort of an entree to that. But to tell you the truth, rock climbing photography, I have not ever done the hangout in the parking lot thing and uh, just shot pure rock photography until this book came along. That was the most intense period of shooting that. And the reason is, is because it's what I like to do the most. And I don't, I mean, honestly, I loved skiing back in the day. And do, being a ski photographer kind of burns you out on the whole thing because all you're doing is waiting for the right conditions. And, and in skiing, that's one of the most difficult things. It just comes and goes so fast. So I kind of have tried to save rock climbing as still my recreation and not just a, a, a job, you know, a day of work. Let me go back to 1975 uh, and sort of your entry level and let's go even back further. Like what, what it is, how did you get into photography in general and, you know, what did, what did that look like in 1975? Right now we're used to all these digital camera equipment. I don't know where you fall on what, how that's changed photography. Um, it seems like it's made it a lot more accessible for a lot more people when probably back then it was kind of a little bit more of an exclusive art. Yeah, that's true. I mean, back... If you think about when Ansel Adams was working, there were probably... I don't. I really don't know, but there were probably ten to fifteen people that were really competent with a view camera in the mm-hmm. United States at that time, versus how many zillions of photographers there are now. So there's that issue. But um, I was interested in writing, to tell you the truth. I had always uh, liked creative writing in high school, and so I just wanted to be a journalist. Um, and but I started working for Powder Magazine, writing articles, and I thought, well, this is stupid. I should be taking the pictures too. And I had a background in creative arts, in terms of or visual arts in terms of drawing and painting. I had no interest in cameras. And I just picked up a camera and started taking pictures because I wanted to support the text. And then over time, I got more disenchanted with the writing because uh, it takes a huge amount of effort and time. And um, 
and the photos sell themselves. So I just, you know, I came, I became more known as a photographer over time. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I agree with that. You know, having written a bunch of stuff and, you know, you get this, you put hours and hours and edits and edits in, and then you get this kind of little piddly check. And meanwhile, the person that slapped the photos on it is, is getting paid. And then also those things can continue to sell. Like, yeah. And then we just, sell in Patagonia. Yeah, you get to do your writing the one time and, and off it goes. So, um, and, and again, like sometimes I feel like at this point in the, in the, in the world, we all feel like we can shoot some awesome piece of, of photography. And in a lot of ways, I guess we can. So, I mean, can you talk about that transition? I know some guys like yourself who were real reluctant to switch over to digital and like held on to it for, held on to film for a, for a long time. And then obviously you finally had to crack, but can you talk about a little bit about that transition in there in terms of, of what you did? Yeah, I mean, it's a real weird paradox because um, everybody says, oh, digital's so easy. But fact, the fact is, digital photography is probably a thousand times more complicated than film photography in some ways. Um, in that, there's so much more you have to know about the whole process to be really good at it. On the other hand, yeah, anybody can pick up their iPhone and take a photo now. So there's this weird dichotomy. And as you point out, people that were working in film ahead of time and long, uh, longer a ways into their career, a lot of them dropped out at that point. And I, I guess I could have done that too, because it is a huge, huge transition. And when you're really good at something, to learn a whole new system is difficult. But um, yeah, I just, you know, it's like, hey man, I want to keep doing this, so I'm going to have to figure this out. And I did everything I could to learn about digital photography and how to edit on the computer. So in the old days, we would go out all day and take the pictures and then go drink beer and now you stay up all night and you edit because the client wants the stuff you know like by the next morning so it's a lot more work to tell you the truth uh, right on. so did you were you pre-autofocus too yeah and then uh luckily autofocus came along right as my eyes went bad so i can still actually take pictures <laughs> Because I, I honestly, yeah, I know some people who, who you know, and maybe you do too, not people, a couple, just a couple that sort of made their career on the fact that they were fast focusers. And when you're shooting skiing, you know, pre-autofocus, it must have been quite a chore to get yeah, something no, and fast I was, and I was proud of that too. I was pretty damn good at that and like pulling the barrel back as they were coming at you. Um, but, you know, autofocus just, that, that just kicked my ass immediately. It's incredible how much better the autofocus is. So um, let's wrap up here, but let's go back to your book. Um, where can people have a look at this thing? Uh, well, almost any major bookstore sells it. It's on Amazon. Um, we're going to do a book signing tomorrow at the community picnic. Um, hopefully it won't be pouring rain too much. But um, Is this supposed to rain? That's uh, what a rumor I heard. But um, yeah, so we'll be doing a book signing tomorrow, and Lauren McCormick, Lauren Lee McCormick is going to join me. So Awesome. Come out. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for coming thanks up, so Chris. Much, Chris. Give it up. You're staying up here. Move over. And uh, excuse me, Mr. Kenny, could you collect your, uh, your stick clip, please, from the stage? Check. All right, we're going to bring up our final guest, uh, my pretend rival in the podcast world has agreed to come on the show, a meeting of the minds, and uh, sit right next to me. So I'd like to introduce Mr. Fitzcahal. Hello. Look at the, the crowd. That's amazing. 
You've got a way bigger audience than I do. <laughs> All right, Fitz, get on there. Get on that mic okay. a little bit. I'm trying to find that ring. Okay, I kind of feel like I'm on level oh, cool, two cool. with like the guests, like see that you know how they type typewriter the guests. So yeah, that's is, what I told these guys. Cool. I was like, although I went all for for Chris, I went all the way back to Carson yeah. for the reference. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Chris. <laughs> I'm, I, I was there too. You're on. Okay, so Fitz Cahal, you're on stage with the Enorma cast. Uh, first of all, I make a lot of jokes about, uh, you know, some sort of power rivalry that I have with, with, with Mr. Cahal, but he, in fact, uh, from the very beginning of my project has been an incredible help to me, um, was very supportive in the, in the beginning. Um, I tell a story about him, you know, talking me down off the ledge when I was all mad at, uh, actually it was at Black Diamond at the time. Um, and, uh, I was like standing in my living room or my bedroom dripping because I'd had to hop out of the shower to get the phone when he called me back and sobbing. And he was like, no, just keep going. It's a great thing. Everybody's going to get on board. And he was right. People have gotten on board. And uh, Fitz's podcast, The Dirtbag Diaries, um, was a real pioneer. It really is one of the only other. I think there's, a, there's another one now, but one of the only ones that deals with climbing. And Fitz's model uh, also deals with all sorts of outdoor stuff. I was kind of silly in making mine so focused, I think. But uh, anyway, so I just wanted to say that while you're up here that I totally appreciate the support you've given the Normacast. And, and uh, as much as I can, I try to help you know steer people towards your podcast uh, from mine as well. Uh, I think one of the neatest things is it's such a cool time to be creative because it is like if you care a lot about what you're doing, which is so like clear in your show, uh, people respond to it, and it, it, it's and it's people respond to it whether they're um, working at BD or whether they're part of the community, and whether it's your audience, your sponsors, whatever. You kind of realize like it's the whole thing, and if you exude this passion long enough, it's like it comes around. So, so I'm glad you're you're still here, and we're sitting up on stage, and that um, I didn't know you were naked in a towel when we were talking. About oh, that. I didn't that tell was, you that. That was that would be a little creepy. So All right, that cool. was good. That was a good non-disclosure right there. <laughs> well, I had called you. And you had said, oh, I'll call you back in a little bit, you know, chill out. And then I was like in the shower and the phone rang and I jumped out. So, yeah. Anyway, that's an image that you can now die with is me standing at the top. There you go. <laughs> we can recreate it if you'd like. Anyway, um, can, I'm going to go back to your sort of starting. You you started the Dirtbag Diaries what, seven years ago now. Is it coming up on that? Yeah. No, I think we're... Uh, Past seven. Oh, you're past yeah, seven now. Past seven now. I'm, I've lost track because right about the time I started the Nomicast, I think yeah, it was six. So yeah, you're you're getting up there. So can you talk about your um, sort of the genesis of your idea and how that came about? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, a couple of things were happening like at the same, same time as like so I've I've been writing probably uh, for you know getting paid to write I think since 1999 or something like that 2000 and there's just a certain point where it was clear like I will not make a living it, you know Chris was talking about that how if you're the writer it's like you kind of got uh, hosed a little bit because you basically produced everything you put the ropes up for the photographers and then you kind of like got this little meager paycheck at the end <laughs> and uh, I kind of realized like I wasn't going to be able to make it work as a writer um, um, and I just, uh, I also always loved the internet and I had been writing on the internet since like one of my first paychecks actually came from websites. Um, you know, wow. At the, at the sort of end of the dot com era. So right. I always loved the internet and I was just like, I, I, that's what I'm going to go do. And, uh, I loved radio and 
it just sort of made sense. Like podcasting was was really taking off right at that stage, and um, it seemed like a lot of the stories that I wanted to tell were really suited for that style. And uh, it just I don't know. I started just geeking out in a room, and and it was like I realized that you know I think I released my first show, and it was like cool. I kind of sent it to a bunch of friends, thinking, man, this is going to be just like how you build a resume or something. Um, and it was like, you know, I sent it out to 30 friends and it was by the end of the day, there were like 300 listens. And then you know, the next day there were 3000 listens. And it was like just this moment where you realized your life had changed. Wow. That it, that it was like, oh, this could work. So, and then, you know, seven and a, seven years and change later, here I am sitting with you. So were you like a podcast person like I was? I mean, were you somebody who listened to them? Um, I mean, let me say this, like seven or eight years ago, I mean, podcasts have been around a long time, and there, and it seems like if you look at the history of them, there's been these little blips. <laughs> and, you know, I think even in between when you've started it, it kind of maybe like podcasting sort of took a dip for a little while. In fact, at a meeting here at Five, or at five Point a couple years ago, um, we were told, I think, that podcasting was dead, actually, yeah, to I our faces. That. Yeah. <laughs> that was I, I nice. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and, but again, like now, I think it's on a whole other renaissance. So were you like a podcast guy, or was it something yeah. more from a radio well, perspective? I was like, I, like I said, I was really, I, I love the internet. So in general, it was like anything like that was, was rad, because it was just like this sort of new way of, of consuming media. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I had been... For, for me, my entry into it was um, I, I really love music. I'm like super passionate about music. So there were a lot of um, interesting um, music shows that you could share. You know, they were being shared online th- uh, through podcasting and through iTunes. And it was like, that was wicked. So from there, I was like, I was already using all this mm-hmm. to uh, do it. And it just sort of made sense, you know, because it really, uh, I think iTunes had really just launched the whole podcast site for its, you know, when I started working on it at the beginning. Um, and so really what it was is it was like there was a really, there was a workable platform. Right. You didn't have to be a total geek to get it. So it was, it was there. But yeah, no, it was, I, I don't know how much you get, but I had to like code the RSS feed and I no. had to like do like all this like weird computer stuff, which I've actually completely removed out of my mind and I have no idea how to do it but anymore. But I did it back in the day. It was kind of weird. It was like at that stage still. That would have broken me. I wouldn't have made it for sure. It nearly broke me because I like if I have to change like a font on my website, it can take two days. You know, <laughs> that's how I am now. I just like let all that information go. And it if you're like... by, if you're by yourself, like, and you get on those forums, it's so classic. Uh, like that Jimmy Fallon thing from Saturday Night Live where the tech guy's like, move. Because you ask a question and whoever answers you purposely just tries to blow your mind with like all this jargon. Oh, did you check the PHP file and the blah, 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 the blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I just want to go to Arial, you know, common <laughs> font. Can you just tell me how to do it? And yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, it's yeah. a total nightmare. And that's with like a, a word. My, my website's terrible, but uh, so is we'll mine. That. Yeah. <laughs> Mine may be actually, worse than you. One, one of the reasons <laughs> I don't mind that mine right sucks now. is because of yours. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, it totally sucks. Yeah. I, I, I was like, what's he got going over there? Oh, oh, that, that's fine. Mine's fine then. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's painful. It's so hard. I told you, I like, let go all of that out of my mind. I was like, I could barely write a line of code now if I had to. Well, I always tell people, like, the, everyone gets it off iTunes mostly, so it's like the website's super ancillary yeah. anyway. But, all right, I, I want to also ask you a little bit about your betrayal. 
of the medium because you have moved into doing a lot of video and that's really driving um, is it duct tape then beer is your production company or it's, or your whatever yeah it's I mean duct tape then beer owns the dirtbag diaries basically. right and duct tape then beer was basically a way to make sure that as I grew that I had a, a vehicle that would let me do anything I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's just, uh, I, I didn't know, you know, there's been, just like you, there's been certain times where um, I haven't known whether the Dirtbag Diaries is going to continue um, or whether it would be able to. And, right. Um, so that was just our, the way I solved it was I created another company that could own the Dirtbag Diaries so that we could have the ability to evolve. Um, as as creatives, basically. Right. And so now, I mean, I'd say it's a betrayal. I'm just joking. But um, your video production is starting to, I think, maybe drive you business-wise more? Or um, just in or is it just looked at as like a big package? It, it, it's it's a big package. And I actually have to say, like, it's funny, you know, yes, we, we, we do a lot of video work. And a lot of our resources are committed to that. But, like... Our team will tell you that I sit there every day, and I pretty much at least once a day because I know they're sick of me. As I say, the dirtbag dairies is the heart of what we do. You know, it's at it's like it's like if we didn't like if and when the dirtbag dairies ends, I, I would sort of be like I would sit sit there and say, you know, you have to know where your heart is because that that's that's what the dirtbag dairies is. Do you have a feeling that if you were to end the dirtbag dairies, like people would come and? and uh, basically lynch you? Uh, I, I hope not. I mean, I don't, I don't want the Dirtbag Diaries right. to end. It's not like I'm sitting here talking about this, but it's just like, uh, you know, you get the reality is like, you know, this is, you know, we're in our eighth year now. Mm -hmm. And you're like, how, how long can these things go for? I mean, I guess like radio can last forever. And Garrison Keillor, I'm like, I, I, I'll let this out. I, I just like Garrison Keillor. I know there's going to be some people that lynch me in this room. But I'm like, retire already, dude. You know, he's like, he's retired six times in the last two years. And he won't stop. So I guess it can last forever. But if you look at something like a TV show, how many right. TV shows run for eight years? Right. Not that many. So I just have always, I mean, part of the, like, when I get kind of like, I don't really want to, you know, get this done tonight or get this out or whatever happens to be, you know, I definitely feel this I mean, in a good way, like this sort of pressure from the, from the audience of like, cause I'll get an email when I'm late on putting a, a thing out like, Hey bro, like no big deal. But like, you know, where's my free stuff? Like <laughs> you're supposed to put it out already. Like, yes, yes, that <laughs> like, does. Not, you know, like I know you're probably busy, but like, you know, <laughs> dunk, dunk, dunk on the door. Like, Hey, I just see you in there just sitting there. <laughs> like, but you know, and it's like, I'm still doing this real amateur style. Like in addition to my day job and and i've always said like it's really hard to come home from your day job and then like i'm gonna be creative now it's eight o'clock creativity time like start being creative now you know and and uh so sometimes i'm just like over it but then i'm like oh man they need the people need the normal cast like or i'm gonna hear about it so i better get something out there so yeah. um but that's kind of what i meant like i think your fan base too would be like wait a second you can't do this to us you know well i, I hope we don't ever have to i mean it's, it's actually been really cool i mean it, you know come back we have to the kids podcast. let them take it over <laughs> yeah that may happen trust me um no, but it is like we actually grew more. We grew it. The only year we've grown more than the last year was our first year. 
So it's this idea of like that's pretty crazy to me that our I think our audience grew by like another twenty five percent last year. So that's kind of yeah. wild. I think the podcast thing is is raging and like you know uh, WTF with Mark Marin and all these podcasts have really like put podcasting on the stage again. And uh, uh, so I, I mean, not to say that you're you're just growing on your own, but I think the whole industry sort of is growing. I do too. I think it got a lot. Of, I think it's it's finally started working where it's easier to listen on your iPhone too. Um, one la- last thing I want to ask you about then, because we're we're about about done here, but I want to ask you about the movie that you had in uh, Five Point last year, The Road to Caracal, which uh, you know I've been telling people not to take away from this year or anything else, but at least last year for me that was my favorite Five Point film of all time. I happened to be MC that night, but that was not really relevant to that. I was just really blown away by it, and I also know to that that it's gone around the country and gotten to be you know quite a big deal and and you know just kind of like can you put it in perspective as to like what that's done for for you and how you know how that's made you feel in terms of this reaction to this film that you were a big part of obviously you know kyle's kyle's dempster is sort of the hero of it but i know that behind the scenes what you went through to deal with the thousands of hours practically of tape so yeah um, no, I mean, it's been incredible. I, I didn't, I mean, I knew that Kyle's story and who Kyle was were so incredible. Like, it was like you opened up this hard drive and you saw his footage and you're like, this this person is, is honest, legit, authentic, and funny. And you rarely get that. It's actually pretty hard to find that as a storyteller um, a lot of times, especially when it comes to film. You know, it's like just, that's not the nature of projects all the time. Um, so like we had something incredible to work with and I just didn't know how it would do online I mean it's a 25 minute film and I kind of like I think one thing I've always learned how to do and I think you probably have is you kind of have to detach your uh, ego from numbers or your storytelling it's like the moment you start to kind of worry about the numbers too much it's like it's going to infiltrate you're thinking on how you make a product or how you tell a story and so I, I just try not to worry about that in general but if you'd asked me ahead of time how it would do online I probably would have been like we'll be lucky if we get 10,000 views on that because it's like there's this thinking and you hear it all the time of people saying you can't do this you can't do that online you can't have anything longer than five minutes online and it's frankly it's kind of bullshit yeah because it's, well, like, it's patronizing you, if, if, you, if you make something great the truth is, is it it will work. But even then, I was doubtful. I was right. like a little bit like, I don't know if this one's gonna work. And it, it did. It's just, it, it's. I, I don't, I don't know what it's on now. But I, I think at some point, it's you know across like five hundred between everywhere it's been. It's you know beyond five hundred thousand people watched it, which is pretty insane for a twenty-five minute film. Online. Right. So uh, last thing then, what, what do you got going on this year while you're here at Five Point? We're doing the live Dirtbag Diaries tomorrow, Okay, much like this. Where and Where is it? That'll be at Steve's Guitar at noon, which I'm very excited about. And um, yeah, mostly I'm just here to be involved in Five Point because this is such an incredible community experience. It, it really does. Like compared to a lot of other uh, events and festivals, it just it just kind of feels like the family's here. Yeah, so it's it's as much just a fun thing. Well, you've been me. a big part of it for a while in, in terms of coming. Yeah, well, so. you can't say no to Julie and Michael no. Kennedy. They're kind of hard. Once they ask you to do something, you're like, yes, yes, I will. <laughs> so I'm like, I feel like a puppy dog when I'm around yeah. them. I'm like, <laughs> 
Well, the, and also want to note that when I decided to do this live podcast last year, I checked with Fitz. Like, hey, dude, I'm going to kind of do what you do. I'm going to rip off your idea. Like, is that cool? Uh, I never heard back from him. So I just what? went ahead. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to step on his toes, but, uh, but you know, we've come to eye to eye about how um, both of our projects complement each other. I've ridden on his coattails, and uh, hopefully, you know, some of the people that listen to mine have found yours through that, just Googling climbing podcasts or whatever. So. I know they have, because I think there's also a lot of people that wish we were more uh, climbing-focused sure. than, you know, than, than we are. Yeah. And I think I think it's pretty cool to see that how... I mean, it, right? It's like, it's not just like you listen to one podcast. If you listen to podcasts, you usually listen to like 10 to 15, probably. Yeah, regularly. It depends on what you do for a living, I guess. But um, if you can, I mean, I fill my head with them every day if I can. I get annoyed when people like bug me. I'm like, I'm listening to my shows. I can get off, you know? Like, anyway, all right. Well, thanks a lot for coming up. Thanks and I'm going to wrap it up. And, and uh, like, again, I can't thank you enough for, for uh, just supporting the whole idea of what we do and uh, doing such a good job with it that you, you like said you laid the groundwork that I just walked in on so I appreciate it likewise it's it's wicked to see how well it's worked for you and it's so cool to see this community just keep getting bigger and bigger and you know people believing in it on a lot of different levels so do you guys want to see us hug yes yes yeah. all right that's it thanks you guys thanks for coming and uh like I said, tomorrow, noon, at Steve's Guitars, my man Fitz has got his going, so go check that one out. It'll be uh, different, but cool. Want a beer? You gonna call room service? We got beer. You hold beer up this rock, you're insane. I may be insane, but I'm not stupid. I didn't carry it. You did. It's in your pack.